Chasing financial independence can be done in a variety of ways, but even with similar approaches, our stories differ, much like that of our famous physician podcaster friend that we're bringing on the show. Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights. Just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and welcome back to the show. Super excited to have you guys here today because you know him from his podcast, Docs Outside the Box, where he shares stories of personal triumphs as well as failures around money. But do you know the whole story? I've got Dr. Nee Darko joining me today to talk about his and his wife's journey on chasing financial independence. What started out with a simple spreadsheet and a reflection on their why and really a hardcore focus on keeping their budget tight, they finally achieved financial independence. So we're going to dig into some geographic arbitrage, cash flow planning, goals, both individual and married, which is very important, and honestly, a ton more. So do you want to achieve financial independence as well? Maybe you just need a little more inspiration to get you moving towards the right path. Well, Nee's going to help you find it. He was such a great guest to have on and so excited that we were finally able to join forces. So see you on the other side. Let's jump in and hang out with Nee. Nee, welcome on the show, man. So excited to have you here. Ryan, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's good that we were able to combine forces finally. Oh, it's been like a year plus in the making. Unfortunately, your better half is not here with you. One time we will get her on as well. Absolutely. Or have my better half and your better half. I think we'd be in so much trouble if we introduced yeah, me them. And you will be, me and you will be canceled out. Yeah. I think we'd both be fired off our own shows. Right. right. Let's maybe not do that. Although they're probably listening. And I already know the audience from my show. They've already told me they're like, they prefer my wife on the show. Oh, man. Yeah. I got fired on my April Fool's show and everyone was like, about time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm excited, man, to have you here. This is, this is like we said, a long time in the, in the making. So. I thought it'd be fascinating to bring on someone who really relates to the ideal audience and everyone listening. I mean, I know who's in our audience because they've joined our Facebook groups, they've reached out, they're part of the community. I think it'd be fascinating to talk with someone that has lived through this exact thing, but from the physician side, right? I can only comment as my, you know, been together since we're 18, but I'm only the spouse surviving through training and all that stuff. But for those that don't know you, why don't we just start off real high level and tell us a little about yourself and your wife and kind of where you guys met and we'll kind of go from there. My name is Dr. Nee Darko. My wife is Dr. Renee Voney Darko, but we are, um, I'm from New Jersey, Irvington, New Jersey, and my wife is from uh, Brooklyn, New York. And uh, we met in medical school, you know, started off as study partners and you know, the rest is history. Study partners. About, right? That's know, cute. And I, I snuck it in from there. And I was like, yeah, like, you know, one thing leads to another. And then we started dating and then kind of the rest went from there. But um, we went to the same med school together. We also decided to get our MBAs together also. So we had this uh, this great relationship <laughs> that was working really great. But also at the same time, as you can tell, we're probably, you know, just adding up and accruing a bunch of, of debt. But she ended up doing OB residency in New Jersey. I ended up doing a general surgery residency in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, 
after that, she ended up doing a fellowship in um, sexual health, actually at Morehouse School of Medicine. We kind of cross crossed. She came to my campus and did a sexual health fellowship with uh, Dr. David Satcher, who's one of the previous um, U.S. Surgeon Generals. And then I went down all the way down to Miami and did a trauma fellowship. And the reason I'm saying all of this stuff is during this entire time, we were accruing a lot of debt. By the time we graduated from medical school, we both had roughly around 220, um, $240,000 in student loan debt. She comes from a very blue collar family. Same thing with me. We took out student loans to get through undergrad and, you know, the same thing was going to happen in, in med school. And that's indeed what happened. So by the time we graduated, we had a ton of student loan debt and then, um, going through residency and in fellowship. You know, I played that game that I look back on and I regret where basically, you know, I deferred and deferred and deferred. And then every now and then I would forbear and not really knowing the consequences of it and just saying, mm-hmm. you know, over the phone, just look, what do I need to do to make sure that I don't need to make a payment? Cause I can't make a payment to Sally Mae at this moment. And they would say, well, you could forbear or you could defer or you have this grace period, not knowing really the implications of what all this meant. So while all of this was going on, you know, me and my wife eventually um, decided to get married. It was great. Relationship was going great. And then all of a sudden we realized that, hold on a second, by the time we got married, I had $330,000 in student loan debt. So our, our student loan had ballooned um, in interest from 220 to 330 and then the same thing for her. And next you know, you know, we're in marital bliss, but we're also broke because now we're like $660,000 in student loan debt. So it was, it was crazy. Yeah. And so our average clients get 298,000, like each physician. So collectively, you guys are right at what I would kind of typically see in that case, but that's overwhelming. I mean, we know people that aren't getting married because of trying to play the games on student debt with their repayments and all that. But it's unfortunate that the student loan servicers aren't actually explaining what you're taking on, how it's working, what are your repayment options and what does it actually mean in the long term? And it's because they're reading off scripts and they don't make that much money. And I'm not trying to dog on them too much because I know lots of people do. It is unfortunate in that. So you're 660K in debt. Did you have any consumer debt on top of that or? No, no? Okay. I, wasn't a, I wasn't a big spender in school or even before that. My wife's the same way. She had a used car. I had a used car. But, you know, one thing that you did mention that's really interesting is, you know, prior to this, I heard about the student debt crisis, but you don't know about until you're going through the process and then you really have to start paying. And you're hearing about people having to postpone certain life events until it actually affected us. And we, you know, by the time we got married, I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to put my wife's age out there, but let's just say we were like in our mid to late 30s trying to start a family and it just doesn't work naturally, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And trying to find the finances to not only pay off your student loans, but also at the same time do IVF was really a, a pain point for us, but ended up becoming a very empowering point for us. So it's interesting that you mentioned that some people put off, you know, not getting married. In our case, it would have actually put off not being able to have children actually for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, we we have several people that that has actually been the case where they've come through and just said like, we're just not ready. We're not comfortable. We have right. too much going on. We have too much debt and all that kind of stuff. So people doing credit checks on each other <laughs> on the first date. It's crazy now. Yeah, it's, it is crazy. <laughs> so I don't want to start off on a negative foot here, but that's a very real thing to have a lot of student debt. And I know because I've listened to your show and we've run in the same circles 
you've paid off that debt and you guys have done that in a relatively short period of time. So I'm curious, like, how did you guys crush that amount of debt? Because I look at, at ours and Taylor ended up taking out like 125. And by the time we thought she was going to go through PSLFs, so we, of course, me being the nerd, makes her file all her paperwork all on time, do all these things. By the time we got out of the program, it was 175000 which in relation to other people isn't that much, but that's still a ton of money. Imagine so, if you weren't there. Yeah, it would be mm-hmm. 300000 It's okay. Like you guys aren't trained in finance. You know this, but you got to get the information somehow. So how did you guys get out of the 660 k That's a loaded question. So we got out of it in three years, but I got to take you a couple of steps back. Sure. So for us, that $660,000 was an extreme pain point in our relationship. It didn't cause money fights or anything like that, but you got to kind of understand how we grew up and then you'll kind of understand why it was such a pain point. So my parents are from Ghana, West Africa. Renee's parents are from Haiti, came to the United States. And like I say, when I say blue collar, I mean, blue collar, you know, we're the first doctors in our family. I grew up learning about being a physician off of TV. And the last thing that they ever talked about really was physicians struggling. So for me, growing up in New York City, I grew up in Queens, New York, then moved to Jersey. You know, seeing a physician was just like, wow, like they got a nice house, got a nice family, drives a nice car. That's for me. Um, and obviously, as I was going through education, you learn more about being a doctor and you do shadowing. And I'm like, yeah, this is exactly what I want to be. So you take that thought process and you contrast that with when we get married and literally we are living paycheck to paycheck, nothing like how I thought, you know, the life would be, the lifestyle would be is how it turned out. And then also we're very close to our families, both immigrant families, very close. Our family's in New York. I'm in Jersey. So, you know, we were stuck with this dilemma, like, how are we going to pay off this debt? And we decided that we needed to move a little bit further away from New York and New Jersey, which was a big pain point to be able to kind of have the lifestyle that we needed to pay off the debt. So that was the big red flag was that we had to move almost five hours away from family. So that was huge. And then also at the same time, there were just some things from a a monetary standpoint that we just wanted in our lives from a saving standpoint that we just didn't have. So I started listening to podcasts and started watching YouTube videos of like people who were going through these processes. And, you know, I listened to the Dave Ramsey's, I'd listened to all these different people, but there were specific podcasters who were like, really like, I just say living their best life, handling, paying off their student loan debt, paying off their mortgages and having very normal work experiences, like living, not being physicians, but just having the the ability to pay off their debt. And I was like, what is it that they have that I can't do? And I started following these people and also realizing that they were younger than me. They were in their early thirties and, you know, maybe even their late twenties and just really able to master things. I just couldn't understand it. So once me and my wife talked, we're just, look, we're living paycheck to paycheck. Our parents came here as blue collar workers and we have all this debt. Like, what's really the big jump? Because we always expect there's going to be a big jump from our parents, all the sacrifices that they made to us. And at that time, we didn't see that. And that was really frustrating. So then we just said, you know what? There's something that has to change. Something has really got to change because we want to be closer to our family. We can't afford to live close to them. So we're going to have to take care of this debt and we're going to have to take care of it real fast. That was the big thing was our why was how painful is this? Why can't we be closer to our family? And that just continued to drive us, you know, pretty far. So the way how we really started it out was basically for the first like three or four months, we didn't budget. We didn't do any of that stuff. All we did was we got an Excel spreadsheet and we just took a look at our bank statements and saw how much we got paid. And then we compared and contrasted that with how much money was coming out of our bank account for various things. And it was shocking. It was crazy. 
at the time, I'm not even going to lie to you, we were paying minimum on our student loans. Technically, that wasn't the problem, really. It was our spending habits, what we were prioritizing, you know, with spending money. So once we were able to look back on ourselves and realize that part of the issue was ourselves as to why we're having this big pain point, that's when we said, okay, if it's us, then we know we can change this. Yeah, that's really, really powerful. And you said so many great things in there, but you mentioned you didn't budget. You did a different form though. I mean, you were, so budgeting is today looking backwards, right? Mm -hmm. What happened in the past and today looking forwards is cash flow planning. How are you projecting that you're going to spend money? And while you might not have formally put together a budget, how all of us might think of that. And I call it the dreaded B word on the show. Cause as soon as you say budget, like boom, there went half the people listening. <laughs> They're checking out, right? No one wants to do it. It's always a pain point, but the reality is the budgeting usually sets you free and you guys were just doing a different version of it, but you still had to figure out what was coming in and what was going out. That's, I mean, it's fascinating stuff, but you did something even before that. And you did some geographic arbitrage. Right, you moved five hours away from family. Yeah, you we, moved we didn't to a know cheaper that name place. Back then. <laughs> yeah, and it's okay. I mean, some people hate it. My wife hates that term. So I'll earmuffs, Taylor, geographic arbitrage. But some people really like it. It's the concept of just moving somewhere where it's cheaper to live that you can then turn around and focus on other things with that extra cash flow. One thing you guys mentioned in your show that I've heard you guys reference is this concept of individual debt versus married debt. And what are you guys kind of referencing here? Right. So when we talk about individual debt versus married debt, there's, you know, we, I'm not going to lie. When I grew up, I grew up thinking that, you know, my money is going to be my money and my wife's money is going to be her wife's money. This is before I even thought about getting married. This is just the thoughts of mm -hmm. how my life would be 20, 30 years down the road if I decided to get married. We both kind of had our thoughts on individual debt and how we would handle that. But what ended up happening is once we got married, very early on, we had a really long talk about goals and we started thinking about, okay, what's it like to retire? When do we want to retire? And what does that mean if I'm saving for myself and she's saving for herself, right? I don't know if, you, if you're following what I'm saying. So if my wife is saving on her own for retirement and then I'm saving on my own for retirement and we're not really talking, how is this going to work? Right. Like if I reach retirement before she does, does that mean that I retire and she just keeps working? Yeah, good luck you with know? that. Right. You know what I'm saying? So that was just an interesting conversation. And that's when we decided, huh, like this is not going to work this way for us, at least. I can't speak for anybody else. Mm -hmm. And that's when we decided to really put our debt together and tackle it together as a married couple. So her debt became my debt. My debt became her debt. And although we paid individually to our student loan, we have a joint account and we just literally attacked it as one. That just literally took all the brain power out of focusing out of how much I have versus how much she has. And it just became how much do we have that allowed us to pull our money together, that allowed us to dream together. It really, I think, was the big accelerant that kind of just 10x everything for us. Yeah, I love it. So what you don't know is as we've talked about on the show for many, many episodes, because we're episode 102 here, is we've talked through a lot of these pieces and you guys are all listening to, to me tell his story and realizing that he's doing all these things individually that are unifying them and their goals. And they're talking about it. They sat down, they had discussions on their goals to go, where do I want to go five, 10, 15 years down the road? And as they actually sat down and had some open lines of communication, they realized, huh, we should 
put these things together and have joint goals, joint things. So your concept of married debt, really, you're just joining finances and having those open discussions, which is absolutely amazing. And I'm so happy that you guys were were doing that. Oh, yeah. Oh, because I mean, she... And I have to give her props. I mean, that's why she's the smarter one. She's my better half. Oh, we all know where it came from. <laughs> you know, so it's it's just it was just like, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. But it's funny, like we started off not budgeting, but now we budget. And I agree with you. Ever since we started budgeting, it just frees our mind. Like I I know a lot of people roll their eyes when they hear the B word and so forth. But for me, like I was the guy who literally was doing mental math in my head. Well, we got paid this much, and I think I know how much the bills are on a monthly basis, which means that we have this much of a, you know, surplus left. Uh, you know, like that type yeah. of stuff. You're just racking your mind, and you go to the store, and you're like, "I hope I have enough left." And once we started budgeting, it just, oh my god, like I can think about other things. I can start a podcast. Yeah, you know, but, a successful um, one. Yeah. Oh yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So it's just like I know B word is painful, but that's why we started off by doing what is coming in versus what's coming out so that it takes less of the guesswork out of budgeting. It's just like we know exactly how much we need for eating. So for example, in our budget, once we figured it out and we looked at what was coming in and what was coming out, we found out that we were spending roughly around $400 a month on groceries. And then we found out we were spending another 200 on like the cafeteria at the hospital or Wendy's across the street from the cafeteria. And then you started realizing, okay, we're buying all these perishables that are just spoiling in the refrigerator, something is not right. We're not doing something right here. And after that, we decided to say, look, you know what? Let's bring our budget just to $200 a month. And then we gave each other $50 a month to spend at the hospital. It's strict, but this is before we had kids. So it was just me and my wife and we made it happen. I brought turkey sandwich meat to the hospital all the time and we made it happen. It was a party. <laughs> yeah. But um, it was, it it's what for worked us. for you, right? Work worked. Yeah. Yeah. So you ran, you ran the numbers, you started budgeting and, and this again, like personal finance is personal. So what worked for me might not work for you at oh, yeah. 200. You might be going, look, I got a family of six. Like there's no way that's happening. That's okay. But it's having the conversation, reviewing, kind of doing some analysis and figuring out what does work for you. You're not going to do it in one month. I mean, me, be honest. How long did it take you guys to really even out the cash flow and understand what's coming in, what's going out, and to really have a firm grasp on it. It took us at least, I'd say, by the time we felt really comfortable, I'd say at least close to a year. Okay. So that's making mistakes on our budget. Of course. Realizing that that we took out too much or we didn't budget this into our initial budget. So we made plenty of mistakes, but the key thing is we stuck to it. Yeah, consistency. But you made mistakes, you kept going through it, but it took you a year to go actually get from, we don't really know what's going on to, I totally understand where our money's going a year. And most people, they quit after like two weeks, Yeah, right? They burn out. It's the, I'm going to eat kale and drink a bunch of water. And a week later, you're like, I'm starving, I'm dying. And then all of a sudden here comes Wendy's again, right? Please don't do that. Take it in slow strides. I know I, I had a whole show on, it was literally the dreaded B word where we talked all about budgeting. Just take it step by step. And this is someone who's walked what you're doing and it took them a year. And that's really normal to do that. So I, I appreciate you being honest with that. You have talked about the importance of small wins as you're going through, because you guys have such a fascinating story. Tell us a little bit about the small wins and the importance and kind of your thought process on this as you went through your financial journey. 
the small, it's funny. So the small wins oftentimes relates to paying off your debt, smallest to largest, but we actually did the opposite. Well, actually we did a combination. For me, growing up in my environment, we didn't really talk about money much. The best you know, advice I got from my parents was save your money. That's it. Well, that's good advice though. It's good advice, but there wasn't that talk about you should put your money in CDs, you should invest your money. Like We didn't talk about any of that stuff. Okay. You know, I had all these loans. There were some loans that I had from school, and some people may know, where you, know, you have your federal loans, and then you may have private loans. And then sometimes, depending on what school you have, your school may give you an actual school loan. Mm-hmm. It's maybe a small amount, and the percentage rate is really low. So I had like a $9,000 loan at my school to kind of help bridge the gap. It was like at 1% or 2%. I forget what it was. It was something that wasn't too big. When I was paying off my student loan debt, me and my wife, we looked at this debt. I was doing locums at the same time, and I had a a larger amount in our bank account. And we're like, well, what should we do with this? And she said, well, why don't we pay off that small loan right there just to get that out the way? And I was like, what do you mean, get that out? Like, shouldn't we pay it on time and just get it? She's like, no, like, let's take it. Let's get it out the way. So we did that and it literally felt like so liberating. Like there was one less check that I had to write on a monthly basis. And that really just kind of fired us up. Also, at the same time, we had a used car that we had and it it wasn't much at all, but we financed it. And we're just like, let's take that out the way also. Got that out the way. And it was just building momentum, building momentum. And then after that, once we got that taken care of, it was like there was no stopping us. But the thing that we really wanted to attack was our private loans. So these were what we used to get our MBAs. This was about $150,000, $160,000. And this was anywhere between 6 to like 10%. Okay. And that took a little bit of a longer time. But you know, once we got the budget in shape, once we kind of figured out what we were going to do with a cash flow standpoint, we were actually able to get it paid off in less than a year. And that's when we're just like, the power of this is ridiculous because we initially planned to pay it off in three years. So we said, wow, if we can really continue to concentrate, we can get this student loan debt paid off maybe in five years. And then as you're paying it off more, you're like, wow, like actually we're under four years. Wow, we're getting close to three years. So that was the power of the small wins. It kind of just kind of set us up. And then we just started attacking things based off a percentage rate. And then here we are. That's amazing. So there's two concepts, you know, there's a debt avalanche and a debt snowball, right? So the avalanche method is a way to basically accelerate the payments, but you're tackling the debt that has the highest interest rate first. And then there's the debt snowball, which everyone, you know, kind of goes along with Dave Ramsey to go along and and basically say, well, I'm going to take the smallest amount of debt first. And yeah, mathematically, it's telling me I should pay the higher interest rate first and then come back to that. But for you guys, you view debt as well, look, you almost gamified it without even knowing, right? You took it and you said, I'm going to pay this small enough. Well, now, you know, let's go and do the, the auto debt while we can, while we can hit that. And it got you guys moving, right? It's the hardest thing to get someone to do something to get that in motion. But once you got in motion, it sounds like you guys just didn't stop. You just kept going. So you guys were talking about one of your struggles and that was with whole life insurance. And now you're shaking oh, your head <laughs> like I just stole your you kid. Have enough time? You sure you have enough time? You want to go down this path? <laughs> we can we can go down this path. You know why I want to go down this path, Nee? My blood pressure is going up right now. Oh man, don't do that to me. I know what happens. So we work with hundreds of physicians all across the country. And I want to say at least 30, if not 40% of them come in with some form of permanent insurance. I've talked about it. I'm going to do a whole show on it. So you don't have to go like crazy about what it is and how it is. But 
kind of just take us down the path of like, what happened? Like, how did that occur? So other people listening, other physicians listening can be like, okay, I know what he did. I'm going to learn from that mistake. You sure you want to do this? You sure? Let's do it. (laughs) So first experience with whole life was probably the way in which a lot of doctors, my generation have heard of it. Someone bought lunch for the residents and a financial advisor came and started talking to us about getting our finances in order. And after listening not really paying attention, but looking back, realizing that the majority of the talk was really about insurance and making sure that you have enough disability insurance, which makes sense at that point. Um, and then it slowly turns into whole life insurance. I'll just kind of make it short and sweet and sure. take you from there, but it's kind of funny, actually. So my chief year of surgery residency, I got a whole life insurance product, kind of listening to the whole spiel of it's like a bank account that you can borrow from later on and in life and the government can't, all the things that they always talk about. I was like, yep. oh yeah, this is great. I love it. You know, not only- Where's this been it, my whole life? Where's this been my whole life? And let me give you five of my, my other residents who are in all these different specialties. Here's the phone number. You know, this is great. So after that, I was paying like 200 bucks a month. Either way, it was just too much for me either at that point. And I finished, went down to Miami and was doing trauma. And I went to a party with my roommate and we were just chilling, having a good time. And then all of a sudden someone came up to me and started like chatting to me about like basketball. And then it slowly but surely turned into like, this guy is like an insurance agent. And like when I should have been doing like the running man or whatever dance move away from this person, like literally we kept talking and I was, that was the first big red flag. He worked for a company that I think a lot of people are familiar with. But long story short, I ended up getting rid of my older life insurance, whole life insurance plan and got into something that was more expensive, but went through the whole spiel of them kind of wanting to know what my goals in life were, my financial pains, all the different things that I wanted to do. And, um, you know, the same thing. You can use it, you know, borrow it against it and you can do this, you can do that with it and you should get one now. You know, like if you don't get one today, then the price is going to go up, you know, those type of things. Mm-hmm. And um, I signed up for it. I gave, you know, referrals to all my other friends and so forth. I got my wife to sign up for it at the time. After about a year of paying it, they send you this um, statement. And let's just say I, I'm just making up the numbers. I can't remember, but it was really dramatic. But let's say I put in like $5,000. So after that first year, they put down how much you have left in your account. And it was something like, it was like a thousand that was left after all the penalties and fees and all these different things. And I was like, this is crazy. So I called up the person who signed me up for this and I was like, explain to me how this works again. I don't understand how this works. And this is also the same time when I discovered Dave Ramsey. I slowly started, you know, getting more information about the white coat investor. I didn't know much about him, but it, through my studies, I kind of figured out about him and I started reading about this stuff and it just had this gut feeling like something is not right with my policy. You know, we kind of stuck with it just for a little bit while longer, a couple more months. And then my wife, I'm telling you, she's a smart one in this relationship. She said, you know what? What's really interesting is the person who sold us this product knows that we got married, but they never called us to kind of change things like who's the beneficiary or even just reassess things to find out like now that you guys are married and, you know, you guys have a different income bracket, like maybe you should change certain things. And I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. So she called him one day. Just started talking to him and then we started realizing how much student loan debt we had and started saying that, you know, we're having a hard time paying our student loan debt and paying our whole life policy and all different things. We're considering about decreasing our whole life policy. And he said, well, maybe you guys need to budget better. Right. And I was like, man, like she told me this. I was like, I can't believe he said that. And then I started thinking about, I was like, you know what? He's right. Actually, we do need to budget better, but we need to budget this out of our life. So we literally were just like, you know what? 
after that conversation, after like a couple more days, we just literally canceled the plan. We got lucky in that the, um, what is it? The, when you get rid of it, what is it? The, oh, the cash value. Pass. The cash value, but there's this thing. I forget what it's called. There's something value. Probably someone who's listening to the show is like, damn it, it's this, it's this. I forgot what it is. But either way, whatever was left over, we were pretty much able to get like 85% of our money back after canceling it before the mature date. I think if we had to keep spending into it on a monthly basis, I think close to 10 years or something like that. I forget how it works. But we used all that money in the lump sum and just put it towards our student loan debt. For me, though, that was a really big pain point because that was something that I could have educated myself better on. And the other thing that I was disappointed about is because I didn't know much about this and it sounded great, you know, I ended up referring my friends, referring the colleagues to this person and I felt bad about it. I'm not sure how many people signed up, but I felt bad about it because, you know, it was like my responsibility to know about this product. That was a big pain point for me. And ever since that actual experience, I vowed to always read as much as possible about anything I purchase. I can't understand. I have to continue to reread things over and over and over again. I probably should not get it. That's a big red flag. So I learned a lot from that experience. Yeah. On one of our Wednesday shows, Jimmy and I talked a little bit on these things about keeping it simple and understanding that if they're coming through, this guy with you referring him probably made a killing off of these policies. He said I was his number one client. And at first I didn't get it. And then I was like, oh, now I get it. He's probably getting a bunch of referrals. A bunch of referrals. Yeah. And so the lesson here, obviously, whole life is a good product for like 1% of the population, maybe, but it is a product designed to be sold, not bought. I really appreciate the honesty and the story. And as you kind of went through it, and I would love for everyone to just take this away. When you are getting referred to by other friends, other physicians, certain things, I don't care if it's finance or a car or whatever it might be. Don't just say, well, if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for me. Oh, yes. Yeah, no, no, no. Do your own due diligence. Make sure that whatever you're about to do, purchase whatever product or invest your time into something that you know what's going on, that you can explain what it is. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And my number one advice is it's 2019 now. Like Anything that you want to find out about anything is available on the internet. There's a podcast about it. There's a YouTube video about it. If someone comes up to you and is presenting something to you that you don't understand, just look it up on there and see what people say, you know, and just ask about it. I just really want people to understand how much of a painful part that was for me. Just understanding, like, if you don't understand something, don't just jump in just because someone is telling you that, you know, you're going to miss out on something or the ability to, you know, make something out of nothing in the future. It just, I still get upset about it now. I'm glad I learned about it. I still see some people go through that process and I get upset for them. So I'm glad you gave me an opportunity to speak on this. I appreciate the honesty and, and walking through it. And, you know, Jimmy and I, we talked about this on a Wednesday show of basically how things are sold and the idea of framing. They preyed upon you guys and all of you listening, if you've ever bought any whole life insurance, first they build up some anxiety and kind of sell you some fear. And then they bring in, you know, this idea of like, well, now it's scarcity. If you don't do this now, you're never going to be able to do it again. And you even get pitched that from a disability insurance piece. Now there's some validity to it, especially if you're a female physician and you're in residency and you decide to not work for some hospital that, you know, and and you go into a small private practice, you might not have unisex rates and things. So there is some validity to it, but for the majority of you, the scarcity is just to get you to act and buy so they can turn a profit in that commission. 
and it's not usually in your best interest. Again, everything is separate for disability, but almost under no circumstance could I ever imagine whole life being a suitable product for a resident or an attending really preach for preach, that. Ryan, so preach, preach. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you coming on. I would love to have your better half. I don't know if we should have the two halves meet because I think we might be in trouble again, but I'd love to chat with her on this, but thank you so much for being on. You know, for those that don't know much about you, I know we've hinted at the podcast. I love what you guys are doing. The concepts, the themes, the things that you work through are amazing, but how can people find more about you, what you're doing and everyone listening when he drops the name of his podcast, go in, make sure you subscribe to it right where you're listening to us talk right now. I appreciate that, Ryan. So what's good, everyone? My name is Dr. Nee. Um, I host a podcast called Docs Outside the Box. You can find it if you go to the website, Dr. Nee Darko, that's D-R-N-I-I-D-A-R-K-O.com. That way you can find more about me as well as a podcast. And then if you use your cell phone or any type of podcast app, you can find it on Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere where you get podcasts, you can find it. On that podcast, we're talking with ordinary doctors who are doing extraordinary things outside of medicine. And now we're also doing ordinary topics that we normally talk about and trying to figure out a way around those things. So majority of the time, you're going to hear me talking with, uh, you know, really cool docs doing cool things, but you're going to hear sometimes my wife on there who has a really good perspective on things who a lot of people are saying are more popular than me, actually. Um, but we talk about just the things that you normally don't talk about in the surgeon lounge or normal things that you don't talk about in the physician lounge, but you should be. And we just kind of bring it down to the level of, you know, things that physicians should really be concerned about from a living an alternative lifestyle and so forth. So if you're really interested, I, I encourage you all to come out and join and listen. Ryan, I appreciate you giving me an opportunity to come on the show and talk about these experiences. I think the biggest thing that, you know, I want people to understand is that, look, like it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to not have all the knowledge. But, you know, as long as you know that out there, there's literally virtual mentoring going on like you and, you know, other podcasters and other people out there who are blogging and so forth, you know, we really can get everybody through to this point where they're making really good financial decisions for themselves. Totally agree. And that's the motivation behind it. The reason why I started the show is to help all of our friends who are physicians. And honestly, the show still exists because everyone listening lets me know like they like it. They want to know more about it. If you have questions, like I know Nee saying, you know, hey, go to blogs and other podcasts and other things. Hopefully the show here is, is answering. But if you have a question that you want to know something about, go to financialresidency.com slash question. Literally just leave me a voicemail and I'll make sure I get it on air at some point. Need. Thanks so much for being here. Really, really appreciate it. Honored to have you here, man. Thank you. Thank you. Can I leave a question also? Yes, sir. You can leave as many as you want. I'll leave, I'll leave an anonymous one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is anonymous. This is neat, Darko. But uh, <laughs> yeah, my friend had got this issue of uh, whole life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it, man. Show, man. All right, it's time for our recap. And there are three takeaways that I'd really love for you to walk away with. The first takeaway is that it's a very real thing to have student loan debt. While our physician clients average debt ranges about $290,000, it's possible to pay it off somewhat fast. And Nee shares a little bit about how he and his wife went about doing this and acknowledging that family was the reason for an early paydown. 
basically for the first like three or four months. We didn't budget. We didn't do any of that stuff. All we did was we got an Excel spreadsheet and we just took a look at our bank statements and saw how much we got paid. And then we compared and contrasted that with how much money was coming out of our bank account for various things. Takeaway number two, there are differences between individual debt and married debt, according to me, which I thought was fascinating. And with the presumptions coming into marriage about who owns what debt, they realized that this probably wasn't the best approach for their finances. So this is what they did. Very early on, we had a really long talk about goals. We started thinking about, okay, what's it like to retire? When do we want to retire? And what does that mean if I'm saving for myself and she's saving for herself? Last but not least, our third takeaway is that it took me and his wife at least a year before they became comfortable with their cash flow. That may seem like a long span of time, but it's not really that long at all. So Nee explains that during this period, they made mistakes, but ultimately, this was the reason for them keeping going and going full steam ahead. That's making mistakes on our budget, realizing that we took out too much or you know maybe we didn't budget this into our initial budget. So we made plenty of mistakes, but the key thing is we stuck to it. I always love to do a quick community update towards the end of the show here. And you've probably noticed that some of the shows went missing or that we didn't really hit our normal schedule over the past few weeks. This is a great example about how life throws curveballs. I have been actually out sick with pneumonia for a few weeks. Uh, rest assured, the show will go on and we'll be back on its normal schedule very shortly. But thank you so much. And this is just a big thank you to all of you. Thank you so much for all the emails and messages asking about the show and what's going on. You guys you are such an amazing community. And I want to thank each and every one of you for being here. It means a lot. Before we end, it's time for that important disclaimer. I'm super excited to have you guys take some time out of your day to hear me talk about finances. It's obviously my passion and I know I'm super nerdy about it, but please remember, I can't give you any specific advice on your financial situation through the show. So consult your attorney, your CPA, or reach out to us, fee-only financial planners, before you go and make any big money decision because it's just the smart thing to do. So have a great weekend and see you guys on Monday. Cheers. Cheers.